Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I remember well as a child going with my family semi-annually on a road trip from Colorado to Montana. And it wasn't a bad road trip, except for there was this one thing in between Colorado and Montana called Wyoming. And I don't know if you've ever driven through Wyoming. If you haven't, you are blessed. It was eight hours of nothing. And so you can imagine that when we arrived at our destination in Montana, the sheer joy my sisters and I felt getting out of that car. Not only because we no longer had to endure our own personal version of National Lampoon's vacation, but also because we knew what was awaiting for us as soon as we got out of that car. We would burst through my grandparents' door, and my grandma would be waiting there with a plate full of freshly baked Rice Krispie treats or cookies. And I don't know what grandma put in those cookies. I swear it was crack. But they were the best Rice Krispie that I have ever had in my entire life. But it wasn't just the baked goods that brought me in, that got me excited, that heightened our anticipation about arriving at our grandparents' house. It was the fact that my grandparents were in possession of a toy that was the single greatest toy that my young mind could possibly fathom. My grandparents possessed a vintage set of Tinker Toys. Now, I recognize that there are going to be some of you here this morning, let's say, who are of a particular maturity that will recognize and know what Tinker Toys are. And then I also recognize that there are people here this morning, probably in the majority, who have never heard the term Tinker Toys. If that is you this morning, let me just take a moment to briefly explain the magic of Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys were the Legos before they were the Legos. They were these little wooden sticks of different varying lengths and colors that you could connect to these wooden blocks to build anything that your imagination could conceive. Really, not anything. You could really only build squares and triangles out of Tinker Toys and maybe a stick person. But nonetheless, my sisters and I loved these toys. We would be playing with these Tinker Toys for hours on end. And for a long period of time, these Tinker Toys were the highlight of our visit to my grandparents' house, at least for a while. Because the older I got, and as I grew into my teenage years, inevitably the appeal of Tinker Toys began to fade and wane. The source of what was once unbridled creativity as a child began to feel suddenly kind of outdated and irrelevant as I grew into my teenage years. Tinker Toys, it seemed, couldn't compare, in my mind, to all the trappings of, of technology during my youth. After all, who wanted to play with Tinker Toys when you had a Game Boy in your hands and a Sony Walkman on your hip? And now I've just dated myself for everybody here. And what was true of my experience with Tinker Toys also mirrors my experience with God's Word. 
Let me tell you how, what I mean here. When I was younger, when I was a child, I remember hearing stories, stories about um, harrowing escapes from the lion's den, giants and shepherds slaying giants, giant fish swallowing men whole, a god-man walking on water. And those stories captured my imagination. They filled my heart with wonder about this God. However, as I've gotten older and I've grown into my adult years, these stories suddenly at times feel outdated and perhaps even irrelevant to my modern life. You see, where the Bible deals largely in words and imagery regarding shepherds, kings and kingdoms, apocalyptic prophecies, and even ancient religious rituals, it feels challenging at times to draw comparisons to my life in 2020. I don't know about you, but I have yet to come across a shepherd as I was driving out across Highway 60. And if I'm honest, even though I was born in Montana, I have never tended to a flock of sheep in my life let alone be able to understand how allusions to a first-century agrarian lifestyle help me navigate conversations on marriage, human sexuality, on race, and politics. And it gets me wondering that this growing divide between my life and what Scripture has to say has me questioning, can I really take seriously a book that was written so long ago by people from a very different age. More specifically, I tend to wrestle with why does the Bible even matter in 2020? I would bet that if I were to ask some of you that same question, for those of you who have actually opened the Bible and read through it, there would be times when maybe you've had a similar thought, or perhaps you've thought similar questions as to why the Bible may matter to us. And as a pastor, I can tell you that I've had numerous conversations with people sitting down who would tell me, Nick, I love Jesus, but I am not certain about what I read in the Bible. I love Jesus, but I hate what Scripture has to say about this particular issue. And our modern uncertainty surrounding God's Word is often heightened by our own misconceptions about what we believe the Bible to be and what the Bible isn't. For example, there may be some of you in this room this morning that perhaps you believe or were raised to believe that the Bible acts like a magical book. Not in the sense that it's full of spells and incantations, but it's not uncommon to hear of somebody opening up the Bible to try and find God's will to a random page and then drawing conclusions about whatever page they open to with the first passage they read. In Bible college, we call that Bible roulette. And I can tell you that on a number of occasions, I have seen people literally open the Bible, they're going through something, point at a verse, and then use that verse to help them in their current predicament or situations. And when I say other people, I mean me. I've done that. And that is, when we do that, we tend to teach the Bible like it's a magical book as opposed to proper theological study. And for obvious reasons, when we do that, it could cause a lot of confusion in our minds about what Scripture is and why it's relevant. For example, if you were to, say, be looking for advice on marriage and you happen to open the Bible to the verse that says, it's better to dwell in the wilderness 
than with a contentious or angry woman, you might be in trouble. For others in this room, maybe you've believed or been taught that the Bible is a book that needs to be read 100% literally all the time. And while it's true that the Bible has undoubtedly factual information in it that is meant to be read literally, such as John the Baptist taught a baptism of repentance during uh, Tiberius Caesar's reign, or that Jesus experienced the crucifixion, the Bible is also full of poetry and metaphorical language that is not meant for us to take it literally. For example, if you were to look, say, in Isaiah 52.10, it says that the Lord has bared His holy arm in the sky before all nations. Now, if we were to take that literally, I could probably walk out there and expect to see a giant arm floating in the sky for all the nations to see. But we're not supposed to take that literally. And the Bible frequently uses these different literary devices to convey truth, but if we were to take them all literally, it could certainly cause us and lead us to a place of uncertainty and doubt for the reader. For others, maybe you believe that the Bible or have been taught that the Bible is a reliable scientific document, when in fact the Bible was actually written some 1,600 to 3,000 years before the scientific revolution. And while there were precursors to modern science and ancient culture, specifically in Greece, the modern scientific enterprise did not emerge until some 1,500 years after the close of the biblical canon. And that's not to say that the Bible doesn't intersect with modern science. It does. When it says that the universe had a beginning, when it says that animals were created by their kinds, But to eagerly seek scientific confirmation from a book that was written in a very different age could also lead to some questions about reliability of Scripture. And so these common misconceptions, and many more like them, can lead us to a place where we begin to wonder, is the Bible relevant to me in 2020? Is this book that's literally 2,000 years old, can this book guide me in my faith journey in 2020? Or has the Bible gone the way of the tinker toy and become outdated and irrelevant? Thankfully, God has a lot to say about the authority of Scripture in our lives. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul speaks specifically to the nature and the purpose of the Bible. Now, when I say nature, I mean Paul is talking about what the Bible is, And when I say purpose, he's addressing what the Bible is for. And so if you have your Bibles, if uh, if they're on your phone, you can open up your app. If you're watching us online this morning, you can certainly turn there as well. We're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and explore together what the Apostle Paul has to say about this very important issue. As you turn there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on what's actually happening in this passage before we actually read it. And you see, in 2 Timothy, Paul actually wrote this letter from a very dark and damp prison cell shortly before he was beheaded. So 2 Timothy, when you understand it in that light, has a very somber tone to it as the apostle Paul is going to die and he knows it. He spent his entire life preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He spent his entire life founding churches and raising up pastors. He's been before kings. 
And now his time is coming to a close. But before the Apostle Paul leaves this world, he is not leaving without a representative of truth. In fact, Timothy, his protege, Paul calls him my son in the Lord, would be the one who would be tasked with picking up and carrying the mantle of Paul's mission of discipleship and church planning. And so Paul from this prison is writing this letter to, uh, to Timothy, first to encourage him to stand firm in his faith, but also to remind him of the firm foundation that his faith rests upon. And it's here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul makes one of the most important statements regarding Scripture and the nature and purpose of the Bible. Let's look at what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul here at the very outset in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is identifying the nature of of what Scripture is. In other words, he's highlighting for the reader what Scripture is. And he doesn't say, hey guys, the Bible's a scientific document. He doesn't say that it's a magical book where you can go to just randomly find answers for life. And he doesn't say that it is a book that should be read literally 100% of the time. Instead, the Apostle Paul here says that it is God-breathed. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't heard anybody using that language, God-breathed. In fact, I would bet, venture to say for a majority, majority of us here in this room this morning, that's a term that probably sounds kind of funny. We don't hear that very often. But when you stop and actually think about what Paul is saying here, it begins to make sense. So I hate to do this, but think about it this way. Winter is coming. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's a truth, and it's going to happen. And literally, in just a couple of weeks, when you step outside, you will be able to begin to see your breath. And when you speak, your words are breathed. Your breath, conditioned by your mind, expresses itself in speech. You literally breathe out words. And that is what the Apostle Paul is saying here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that God literally breathed out the words that are in the Scripture. That may give us pause as we begin to think about what we're holding in our hands. That we are literally, according to the Apostle Paul, holding the words that God breathed out. But how does that work, right? Like we know from history that the Bible was written physically by men, put pen to paper, and wrote out the original manuscript. So what does it mean that God breathed out Scripture? Well, if we go and look at another, important, another part of uh, the Bible, we can get some ideas, some hints of what specifically Paul is talking about here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, we'll have it on the screen here, Peter writes this, he says, above all you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, 
spoke as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in this verse, Peter is saying that the Bible, the authors of the Bible, the men who were writing these prophecies, those thoughts did not originate from them, that they were literally carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we get a little bit more of sense of what it means that God breathed, but we need some more clarity on that still. And so what does it look like to be carried along by the Holy Spirit? If we look in the book of Acts, we find that the author used a similar phrase, in fact, the exact same phrase, to describe a ship that is carried along by the wind. And in Acts 27.15, he says that the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. That's the same phrase there, carried by and driven along. It's the same phrase in the Greek. And so the same way that a ship was driven along by the wind is the same way that the authors of the Bible, God breathed into them, he carried them along to write the exact words in the original manuscripts that he wanted in Scripture. Human beings may have physically penned that, but God breathed them through them in such a way that every word in those manuscripts was exactly what God wanted to be there. And so it's also important to note at this point which scriptures Paul identifies as being divinely inspired. And so if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see that Paul says that, say it with me, all scripture is divinely inspired. All scripture is God-breathed. Now I'm going to give you a lesson in Greek this morning, okay? You ready? You're going to be able to speak Greek after this sermon. What do you think the word all means? Say it again. Everything. It's not a trick question. It's all. All means all. Now, you can go home and tell everybody, hey, man, I learned Greek today at church. And this, what Paul is saying here is that the meaning of every word in the Bible is divinely inspired and, again, are the exact words that God intended to be there. It's not just some of the words And more importantly, it's not just the words that you and I like. When God said, don't gossip, he intended that to be there. When God said, love your enemies, he intended that to be there, whether we like it or not. The Bible is not a buffet where we have the ability to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. The Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy leaves us no gray areas, no middle ground to land. Either the entirety of Scripture is the Word of God or it's not. Either the entirety of Scripture is God-breathed or it's not. There is no middle ground. And that means that the nature of the Bible, what is it, is that it is God's literal words to us. And here's the cool thing about that, is that if our God is trustworthy, and Titus 1-2 says that God cannot lie, then it means his word is trustworthy. And if God is authoritative, then likewise, it also means that God's word to us has authority in our lives. If God is God, and the Bible is literally the word of God, then it has absolute authority in our lives. God has given us this book to rely upon it as a divinely inspired instruction manual. But an instruction manual to do what? 
And so Paul here in 2 Timothy, after first highlighting the nature of what Scripture is, now turns his attention to and begins to shine a light on the purpose of Scripture. What is it for? And so in 2 Timothy, he says this, again back in chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says that God's word is given to us. He literally breathed out this word to us to teach us, to instruct us as his kids in something. And what is it that Paul is calling us, what they're saying that the Bible is to teach us Then he lists three specific areas where Scripture has the power and authority to impact our lives. And he he starts out by saying, first of all, Scripture has the power to rebuke us. Who's excited about that this morning? (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's about the same reaction I had when I read it. Because in our modern society, in our culture today, we hear that word rebuke, and it has very negative connotations, doesn't it? It's kind of scary. Like the Bible is a jackhammer that God is going to use in my life. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that God's Word is a divinely inspired instruction manual that is meant to show us when we're wrong. God's literal words, Scripture, then has the power and authority to reveal to us when our thoughts and our actions are harming ourselves or others. I think we need that. I think we need that. And by we, by we, I mean I. Because more often than not, I tend to believe I'm right all the time. In fact, if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. She hears it from me all the time that I think I'm right. But God's word comes along like a warning label on a bottle of poisonous chemicals, warning us against the beliefs and actions that we can ingest in our souls and our spirits that will cause us harm. So God's spirit through the Bible shows us where we get off course. And in the same way that the Bible has the power and authority to show us when we're wrong, it also then has the ability to show us when we're right. And that idea, and that's what Paul means when he's talking about here in Scripture, that Scripture has the power and authority to correct us. And again, that's another thing that we hear today and we tend to kind of pull back from because it has that negative connotation. But in the original Greek, in Greek secular culture, it's actually a very practical term. That word correct means that if something has fallen over... To correct it, then, is to set it back right side up. It also has a connotation. It was used in the culture that if somebody had fallen and stumbled, it was extending a hand and pulling them back to their feet. Scripture, when we allow it to show us through God's Word, to show us when we are wrong, also then has the power and authority to set us back up right again. So God gives us this book this divinely inspired instruction manual to show us when we're wrong and to lead us when we're right. And finally, Paul tells Timothy that the purpose of Scripture is for training in righteousness. 
The Bible has the power to equip us for God's good work in this world. It instructs us how to live a godly life. According to Paul, if you want to grow in your life in a way that increasingly reflects the glory and the beauty of Jesus, then you need the Bible. And the result of all these three things, the way and the power and authority and the ways in which Scripture interacts with our lives is for the purpose of making us more mature in our faith. You see, the ultimate purpose of Scripture is so that we in our lives become fully proficient, fully equipped, and enabled to do good work in the world, God's work in the world. God's Word gives us everything that we need. And because of this, I love what John Piper has to say about the place of Scripture in our lives. Listen to this. He says, we are people of the book. We know God through the book. We meet Christ in the book. We see the cross in the book. Our faith and love are kindled by the glorious truths of the book. We have tasted the divine majesty of the word and are persuaded that the book is God's inspired and infallible word. Therefore, what the Bible teaches matters. So we see from Paul's writing in 2 Timothy that the Bible is far from being a tinker toy. It is not outdated and it is not irrelevant. It is God's literal word to our lives a divinely inspired instruction manual to show us when we're wrong, to lead us to what is right, and to equip us for God's good work in this world. Church, if you want to know God, you have to know Scripture. If you want to know God, you have to know the Bible. That's where we find and interact and see Him. You know, as I was reading and studying this week through 2 Timothy, I was reminded of a story about the USS Jeanette. Who's ever heard of the USS Jeanette? Got one? I hadn't until this week in doing some of my studying. But in 1879, Lieutenant George DeLong set out on the USS Jeanette in hopes of claiming the North Pole for the United States. Sounds like a noble cause. And DeLong's plans were based and developed on the maps and people of his time. And map makers believed that at the North Pole, there was literally an open sea teeming with marine life that someone could sail on as easily as they were sailing on the Mediterranean or the Caribbean. Unfortunately for Mr. DeLong, every expedition that had sailed north to the North Pole had run into a problem, ice. Every expedition had been stopped by ice. And you would think that if that happened every time, some of the scientists and map makers and geographers of that day might have started to think, hey, there's ice up there. They didn't. They just modified their theory and they said, okay, there's actually a ring of ice around the North Pole. But if you find passage through that ring, you clear sailing, man, open waters. And so DeLong and his crew of 28 men went to find that portal. And as you can imagine, it didn't take long for them to discover, baby, there ain't no portal. <laughs> That's a whole lot of ice in the North Pole. 
And so his ship actually became marooned. It got stuck in the ice. And the crew, in a desperate measure to try and save themselves, abandoned ship. They decided that they were going to try and walk to Siberia to save their lives. And as they were going, half the crew got split up. Some of them made it to Siberia and survived. But DeLong and his group wandered through the ice until they died of starvation. And they actually found DeLong's body covered in snow, save for one arm raised as if signaling towards the sky. And for DeLong and his crew, the wrong maps cost him his life. Church, this morning, I want to tell you that God has given us his divinely inspired instruction manual that is going to help show us when we're wrong, lead us to what is right, and equip us for his good work in this world. But all too often, church, either because of our own sin, because of our own misconceptions, or because the fact that I believe that I know better than God, I choose to rely on my own instruction manual or somebody else's. And I stake the expedition of my life on false worldviews and assumptions that promise a pathway through life, but ultimately leave me shipwrecked. So my question to you this morning, church, is this. What maps, what instruction manual are you following in your life? What worldviews and assumptions are you basing the course of your life on? If you, at this morning, sitting here today, recognize that, man, I am shipwrecked, I feel like my faith or my life is marooned and I can't get out, or if you arrive at a place in your life where you feel shipwrecked or that your life or faith is marooned, I want to encourage you either this morning or down the road to ask this question, am I following God's divinely inspired instruction manual for my life, or am I following my own? Am I following what God has to say, or am I listening to myself or someone else? And when we stop and ask that question, it has the ability to reorient us back to true north. It has the ability to call to remembrance the need in our lives to be saturated by the Word of God. Church, this morning, there are so many things in our lives that are constantly being thrown at us, that are constantly being yelled at us, that this is truth, follow this, go this way. But there is only one truth that can lead and guide our lives. And when we remember that, when we bring ourselves back to that place of remembrance, I can say, man, I have not been spending time in God's word like I used to or like I should. Man, I have been watching way too much CNN and Fox News. I have been spending way too much time in the comment sections on Facebook. I need to reorient myself and get back to what is truth. God gave us the Bible as his divinely inspired instruction manual to show us what was wrong, to lead us to what was right, and to equip us for his good work. Now, I recognize this morning that there may be some in this room who are for the first time recognizing and realizing the value and importance of God's Word. But I also recognize that there may be people in this room who for the first time are also saying, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. If that is you this morning, can I tell you, do not be ashamed. You are not alone. 
In fact, I just got a message this week from a friend in North Carolina who told me, Nick, I have wanted to always read God's Word, but I don't know where to go. I told him, go to Revelation. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. (laughs) He wanted to know. And so I want to very quickly this morning give you a tool that's going to help you jump into God's Word right away. It's called the HEAR method. And the acronym for HEAR stands for Highlight, Explain, Apply, and Respond. So let's just say for an illustration that you walk out of here and you say, I want to begin reading God's Word today. And I'm going to start with 2 Timothy because that's where Nick was talking. If that's the case, anytime you jump into God's Word, we start with the HEAR method by first praying. Because this is God's Word This is God's literal word, and God is God, and I am not God. I am a human being. I stop and I pray, and I say, God, help me to understand what it is that you put in this word. Help me to understand what it is that you want me to speak to that. After that, open up your notebook or your journal and write a big H up in the corner. And as you're reading through Scripture, generally one or two verses is going to begin to stand out to you. And as those verses begin to grab your attention, write one or two of them under that letter H. You're highlighting what is standing out to me. Then after you're done with that, write an E under the H, and you're going to begin to explain what specifically these verses are talking about by asking yourself three simple questions. Why was this written? To whom was this written? And how does this fit with the verses before and after it? If you open up your Bible and just point to a verse, you're going to end up in the wilderness because you think you're living with a contentious wife. If you don't stop and read the verses before and after it to understand what the context of that scripture is talking about. After you write the E, write an A for apply. And this is the most important part. This is the heart of the process. This is where we ask God, what are you saying to me today? You ask these three questions, how can this help me? What does this mean today? And specifically, what is God saying to me? Finally, below the final three entries, you write the letter R for respond. And this is an opportunity to begin to put word into action. You're going to write down one or two ways that you choose to respond. That doesn't mean that you need to get up and go outside and start preaching on a corner. If that's what God tells you to do, go do it. But those responses can come in a number of different ways. It may be just a prayer. Jesus, thank you for revealing this to me. It may be you write down how your life's going to be different because of this. Or maybe specifically it is an action step. As you look at these three different or four different approaches to the HEAR method, you see that they are all action words. Highlight, explain, apply, respond. Church, God does not want us to sit back and just wait for him to drop truth into our lives. He has given us truth in the Bible. He has given us this book as his divinely inspired instruction manual that we may know when we're wrong, that he can lead us to what is right and equip us for his good work in this world. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. 
for service time, directions, and learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.